Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. China Lee Hunter is not used to thinking a lot about schoolwork when she's doing her retail job at the Adidas store. But last month, she couldn't help it. It's where she found out her AP African-American studies course was being banned. I was at work, long story short, (laughs) and I was on break and I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw it on someone's story. And I kind of just tapped through stories. But when I saw bans, I was like, well, let me go back. China Lee is 17. She lives in Miami, Florida. It was Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, who had decided to tinker with her course load. His administration said the pilot class she and a few other kids were taking lacked educational value. I was literally like, there's no way that I'm literally taking that class. Like, there were so many thoughts that was going through my head. Like, I'm taking this class. What does this mean? Why are we going back in history? This African-American studies class was a bit of an experiment. The Advanced Placement Program, which offers college-level courses to high school kids all around the country, had asked a few schools to try it out before they offered it nationwide. Although Florida's Department of Education did not seem to like what it saw, China Lee points out it's not like anyone asked her about it. If they had, she would have told them how much she loved the class. When I heard about this dust-up, I had so many questions. Like, what was it about this particular curriculum that offended Florida's educators so much that they stepped in mid-year. And for high schoolers like China Lee, was she just out a course credit? China Lee says that's not exactly how it worked. She's still taking the same subject. It's just been altered a bit. We still have the same, like, plan set out. But, like, the articles that we were reading that were directly from, like, College Board, we're not allowed to read anymore. So, for instance, like... We've read um, a poem from a Black soldier on how he felt during the Civil War on like how they didn't want Black soldiers fighting because one, they didn't want to kill their slaves, of course, because they were doing all the work for them, or um, just the fact that they didn't want to fight alongside someone that was Black. So having that like firsthand information is taken away from us. So now it's just vague instead of more personal. While China Lee's teacher spent class time changing around her syllabus, China Lee and her friends decided to write letters to the governor. They have not worked up the nerve to send them in yet. So we asked China Lee to just tell us, what would she say to Governor DeSantis if she ran into him on the street? Well, if I'm being rude, I would say, what is your problem? But I can't say that. So I would say, what makes you so uncomfortable with all of history or what makes you so uncomfortable with the truth of history literally like what makes you so uncomfortable today on the show 
public education is making a lot of politicians uncomfortable right now, and not just in Florida. It turns out that has implications for what all kids are learning. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Like a lot of people, I heard about the fight over African-American studies in Florida, and I thought, well, that sounds like Ron DeSantis being Ron DeSantis. After all, Florida's governor has made education into a major talking point rejecting any historical information his administration thinks might make America's children feel bad about themselves and their country. But I called up Jeremy Young, a historian at PEN America, because he says what happened with his AP class is actually an indication of something bigger that's going on in public education. It's just that this larger conflict is most clearly visible in Florida with something like this advanced placement stunt. So I asked him to start at the beginning. He said he first heard about the AP program offering African-American studies a few months back. And at the time, he was optimistic about it. It sounded like a really exciting new departure for the advanced placement program, which often focuses on courses that are universally offered in college core curricula, U.S. history, 
early mathematics courses, English literature, things of that sort. You're saying advanced placement's a little basic sometimes. Well, yes, because they want to make sure that the that the courses are are going to be uh, accepted and needed in every college in the country um, when when they are uh, transferred. Right. And to to include African-American studies, it's an acknowledgement of the fundamental importance of the field. Absolutely. So when did it become clear that things in Florida weren't going so great? for this AP African-American history course? You know, it was a, it, in, in some ways it wasn't shocking given other things that have happened in Florida around education uh, in the recent past, but it there was not any public warning that there was going to be an attack on this AP course or a rejection of this AP course until it was rejected. You know, there, there was an, an article hmm. in the National Review quoting a letter uh, from the State Department of Education uh, declaring that the course you know, was not teaching legitimate history or content. Yeah, this was a letter from Manny Diaz, the commissioner of education in Florida, right? Right, from Manny Diaz. And the, the AP received it. And that was the first uh, that this was publicly known that this was going to happen. Yeah, what was interesting to me about that letter from Diaz is that he cited specific academics in it. He called out Kimberly Crenshaw, who people may be familiar with. Some people say that she was one of the people to name critical race theory. He calls out Bell Hooks, who's a poet, feminist, black scholar. You know, I know who some of these people are. I wonder, like, is the inclusion of these thinkers some kind of indoctrination, in your opinion? The first thing to understand about this is that this is an African-American studies course, not an African-American history course. So the state is assuming that, you know, some sort of pantheon of uh, famous political figures or celebrities in African-American history is what this course should be teaching. That's not it at all. Hmm. African-American studies is an interdisciplinary field that draws on history, literature, uh, fine and performing arts, sociology, uh, and other uh, cultural studies fields. And uh, it, and it also has its own distinct methodology. And these uh, two figures, Kimberly Crenshaw, who, who coined the term and the concept of intersectionality, uh, and Bell Hooks, the, the noted uh, African-American feminist writer, these are two of the towering figures in the field of African-American studies. And to, to, to learn African-American studies is to survey the thought of prominent African-American thinkers, among other things. And you simply cannot do that without including thinkers from all aspects of of the spectrum and from all aspects of the field. Yeah, it didn't really surprise me that Ron DeSantis and his administration were picking a fight over this class. But it did surprise me what happened next, which is the college board announcing that they were going to upend their curriculum and not just in Florida for everyone. Did that move surprise you? Uh, not really. Um, and I should know that the College Board thinks uh, has said that uh, publicly that they uh, they did not make any changes to the curriculum on the basis of uh, the governor's comments. They just happened to do it right around the same time. Well, so so I think there's some truth to this. Uh, I think there's truth in two ways. First, um, they that the you know, it is true that these are dense readings, as the College Board has claimed, that, that some students may find them difficult. But it beggars belief that they that they truly uh, intended to eliminate all of the, the content areas that these readings focus on, because they have done that. They have eliminated the unit on queer theory. They have eliminated the unit on Black Lives Matter, not just the readings, but the entire unit. Um, what The other way that there's truth to their comment is you know, these, these, this course was being criticized 
by uh, conservative commentators, by pundits, and perhaps by uh, by local figures as well, while it was being piloted before the governor got to it. So it, it is quite possible that the College Board made these this capitulation to these other uh critics before the governor jumped on the bandwagon. Because they saw the writing on the wall. Because they saw the writing on the wall. And the College Board has a history of of doing whatever it needs to to maintain its status uh, as an accepted option in all 50 states. It turns out that before this back and forth over African-American studies, the Advanced Placement Program twisted itself in knots over U.S. history. This was back in 2014. Conservatives complained the course was not pro-American enough. Some states, like Oklahoma, considered rejecting the class entirely. And ultimately, the College Board responded to that criticism by adding a unit on American exceptionalism, which said uh, only positive things about American history and culture. Whoa. So uh, the College Board has never been shy about being willing to uh, to defend uh, its its position in these states, really almost no matter what you know, capitulation they have to do to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, when I read a bit about this decision in 2014, 2015, about the U.S. history course, it was interesting to me how explicit the changes were about race. Like one change that one person noted was that, you know, the 2014 version, the original version of this history course talked about manifest destiny, the idea that, you know, settlers from white settlers in the United States should move west, that it was, you know, part of their mission to do that, that, you know, this was about cultural superiority. That, you know, originally this course said this was about white people making this decision to move west inside North America and it was about cultural superiority among white people. But then when the curriculum was published, they sort of they got rid of the white aspect. It always surprises me when uh, critics of these curricula want to want to, to take the explicit mention of race out of these uh, these courses because if you look at the historical documents and I'm a, I'm a U.S. historian by training if you look at the historical documents from these periods uh, the the white historical figures who were promoting concepts like manifest destiny were very open about the fact that they were doing it to promote what they would call the white race. Um, you know, you can find innumerable quotes from senators and governors and even presidents making exactly this argument. It, they weren't shy about it. It's not something that's being inserted later by historians. And yet there seems to be this, this squeamishness around talking about that fact when we talk about American history. I think the College Board censoring itself is so important here because when I dug in, and I think this was some of your writing, where you noted that when states have tried to ban things like ethnic studies in the past, like Arizona tried to do this, there have been court rulings saying you can't do that. That's racist. <laughs> That's motivated by racial animus. That's not allowed. And so a ban like what Ron DeSantis was doing, you can potentially challenge that in court and flip it around. But if the college board is censoring itself and responding to criticism and, and sort of watering down the curriculum, you don't get that opportunity to have that conversation and have a ruling on the other end. That's exactly right. And, you know, that is the way that this educational censorship has tended to work. When a, a, a law 
censors content in a classroom uh, or when it, when a, a elected official censors a course, as we've seen uh, in this case. What happens is that the law is is only infrequently enforced directly. Uh, we have seen some instances where some of these censorship laws have been have been enforced uh, and have uh, resulted in punishments for school districts or for teachers, but it's rare. What tends to happen instead is that the law creates a chilling effect on speech. Um, the law, uh, because of its vagueness, because it's because it's so unclear to teachers to administrators what exactly is being banned and why it's being banned, uh, it leads them out of an abundance of caution and the prudent management of risk to censor themselves and in the case of administrators to censor the teachers uh, who they supervise. And so it's not surprising to see the College Board uh, fall prey to the same trap that many teachers are having to deal with. Jeremy Young wrote a whole report about these censorship laws last year. He calls them educational gag orders. These laws ban certain concepts like so-called critical race theory, and they allow parents to sue if they feel a school is in violation of them. Jeremy's only found a few examples of parents or other interested parties bringing a school to court for what's going on in the classroom. But he worries that it doesn't take a whole lot of legal action for these rules to have a chilling effect. So the ultimate outcome of this is to silence teachers and silence classrooms. And there was a RAND report recently that came out that kind of boosted this because it, it surveyed thousands of teachers and principals and basically echoed this finding, said that you know, teachers feel like they need to hold themselves back, and especially black teachers, I guess because they feel more vulnerable. I'm not sure. That's absolutely right. The survey from the RAND Corporation found that over a quarter of teachers are uh, are self-censoring or being told to censor uh, their, their content. Uh, the numbers are higher among social studies teachers, and they are higher uh, among black or African-American teachers in states that have passed educational gag order laws. There, there are uh, 17 states where that's the case. So your, your state doesn't even need to have passed a gag order for the teachers to be censoring themselves. It just needs to have, it just needs to be like in the ether the way it is. But then it's worse if you're somewhere where there is a law. That's right. And there was a remarkable quote in this report. Uh, where a teacher said, uh, the state told us that we had to ban, uh, we couldn't teach critical race theory. And none of us were. But now I'm afraid to teach Frederick Douglass because I don't think the people in my community know the difference between black history and critical race theory. Oof. That's just a heartbreaking comment. And I think it, it really underscores the real effect of these laws, which is not to ban this concept that, that you know, is not being taught in in. Uh, in K through 12 classrooms, but instead to silence uh, all sorts of teaching about uh, African-American history, slavery, racism, uh, and uh, gender and sexuality. Something that stood out to me about the RAND report that we talked about, that survey of teachers, is that one of the things they asked in this survey was about whether teachers and principals thought structural racism existed. And a healthy majority of teachers and principals did think structural racism existed. And that stood out to me because I think that's something that the Ron DeSantis's of the world would strongly disagree with. And so in a way, I look at this fight over education and I think, well, <laughs> Ron DeSantis and, and folks like him may have identified people that they truly do disagree with here. It's just that 
he's using his power as an executive to completely stifle them instead of engaging them. I think you're right. And the problem here is not that people disagree about whether structural racism exists. The problem is that there are people in this conversation who want to ban any viewpoints on this question other than their own from being taught in a school. And that's wrong. That's censorship. Uh, that, that's you know, plain and simple. There's no uh, <laughs> there's nothing more censorious than the government telling teachers uh, that they cannot teach a particular interpretation that it, that has scholarly support, that has a certain amount of support within the within public opinion, because a particular elected official disagrees with it. After the break, the next front in this war over education is public universities. Turns out Florida's leading the way there, too. Jeremy Young says Florida's war over education is now spilling over to higher ed. Last month, Governor DeSantis proposed a slate of legislation putting new restrictions on public colleges and universities. These laws would give the state more control both over what gets taught at state schools and who gets hired there, deprioritizing majors deemed to have a political agenda. They'd also make it easier to get rid of faculty tenure. The state would be able to tinker with a university mission statement and forbid the use of school funds to support any activities related to diversity and inclusion or critical race theory. Jeremy has called these proposed rules the most draconian restrictions on public higher education institutions in the U.S., And in fact, I might even go farther than that. It's possible, although we haven't seen the legislative text yet, that these proposals, when introduced and or adopted, would be the most draconian uh, restrictions on higher education in American history. Whoa. Uh, You know, these previous these previous laws that we've been talking about, they restrict classroom instruction. Uh, What the governor has proposed goes beyond that level of censorship to censor entire institutions and to take away the autonomy of higher education, of public higher education institutions. You know, the rhetoric that's used in changing curriculum and banning books for K through 12 students, it's often about parental rights and topics being too complicated for kids. What is the reasoning for these kinds of changes in higher education, where you're looking at adults who are being educated? Well, we have occasionally seen the parental rights argument even in higher education. Uh, There was a a case a few months ago at Valdosta State University in Georgia where uh, a parent complained to a dean about a biology lecture on gender huh. and said that you know that, that as a parent you know he didn't want his his tuition dollars going to to pay for this lecture and the dean shut the lecture down it's a horrible case but it is rare at least for now um, so primarily the argument that's being made is that that these students are being indoctrinated by their liberal professors um, even though they're adults they're being fed a bill of goods they're being fed information that is one-sided, that is unfair, uh, and essentially being shaped to hate America. Now, this is completely false in a number of ways. Uh, For one thing, there have been uh, a number of excellent studies, including a a study uh, that just came out this week in in the University of Wisconsin system, demonstrating that conservative students do not particularly feel indoctrinated by their liberal teachers, Hmm. uh, that when they do feel uncomfortable, it is usually with their liberal peers, and it's usually outside of class. 
uh, which does, of course, suggest there's a problem, but that problem doesn't really have much to do with the faculty. It has to do with the, the campus culture and climate, uh, which is more of a university uh, staff or administrative uh, issue. And it's not just Florida, right? Like Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick in Texas is, you know, urging the legislature to end tenure for university hires sort of in a similar way to what's happening here. Like this is something that may go beyond Ron DeSantis. Yes, I think everyone is waiting to see what the legislative text will look like, but I would not be surprised at all to see these proposals. Uh, First of all, I think they will pass in Florida. Uh, I think they will be introduced in other states and they will pass in some other states as well. And uh, it's important for advocates of free expression and of higher education to realize that there is a window right now to lay the groundwork to to combat these proposals in other states. But the groundwork has to be laid now because otherwise we are looking at an America that is split between states that allow uh, free and open education in the higher education sphere and states uh, that don't states that are that where where higher education is run by political operatives and politically appointed figures or elected figures, and that bans outright bans departments, majors, and ideas that those leaders don't like. And to have politicians and government authorities r- writing college mission statements, deciding what college majors should be prioritized and deprioritized, um, you know, closing departments, that is the end of higher education as we know it. Hmm. You know, studies have shown that students tend not to change their opinions to become more liberal just because they attend college uh, or more conservative, that they, you know, essentially don't really change their views very much in college at all. Instead, what they do is they become more aware and understanding and tolerant of people who have views different from theirs. So the goal of exposing them to these ideas is not uh, is not to change how they think. It's to change uh, how they understand others and how uh, and, and how much they can identify with other people. It's, it's to teach empathy, uh, intellectual empathy. I'm so, I'm so glad you said that because I feel like part of the problem I see with this effort to stifle what topics are allowed on public college campuses is that it runs the risk of deepening divides in this country. And I say that because of the only place you can learn about critical race theory is some expensive elite institution. It's going to warp the way whole pockets of the country understand themselves and each other. That's absolutely true. College is one of the last bastions of free expression in this country. It is one of the only places that you can go and meet many people who think differently from you, who have different backgrounds from you, who have different experiences from you, and encounter them on an equal footing in an environment of free inquiry and knowledge. And without that ability, which is exactly what is being attacked here, what is being targeted here, without that ability to learn from one another and to communicate with one another openly, uh, we will simply sink further and further into our partisan divides and we will know less and less about each other. So ultimately, this is an attack not just on colleges, not just on free expression, but on democracy itself. Because the people who are being denied this education in higher education right now are the people who are going to grow up and become voters and leaders and determine the future of our society. And if they lack the ability to understand people different from themselves, uh, they will make different decisions from the decisions they would have otherwise made. Jeremy, thanks for coming on the show. I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Jeremy Young is the Senior Manager of Free Expression and Education at PEN America. China Lee Hunter, who you heard from at the top of the show, 
She's a senior at Robert Morgan Educational Center in Miami, Florida. And that's the show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support us is to go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus and investigate our membership program. It has all kinds of benefits. Go check it out. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Delshad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support from Anna Phillips, Jared Downing, and Laura Spencer. It was Madeline and Laura who set up that conversation with China Lee Hunter you heard at the top of the show. Thanks, you guys. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. I'm handing the reins over to Lizzie O'Leary right now. She'll be here with What Next TBD for the next few days. And I'll be back in this feed on Monday. Catch you then. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.